I am so excited about this, this new series that, that we are starting. Now, typically, we really like to do expository Bible preaching. That's kind of who we are. And in fact, uh, when this is over, so starting in September, we are going to be looking at the book of Philemon, the little book of Philemon. It's got so much great truth in it. But for these four weeks, we want to talk about hope. And the reason is, is that, man, our world is in desperate need of hope. I mean, from the, you know, people are so discouraged physically, you know, of, of struggling with, do they have this? Do they not have this? I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it's like every time I get a little headache or a little ache, I go, oh no, man, am I getting this, you know? And, and people are discouraged uh, economically. Uh, people have been furloughed, laid off, you know, things are, are struggling there. Spiritually, it's been hard to even gather together to worship the Lord together and community that we're so used to. Uh, then you look at it politically uh, with all that's going on and the rioting and the racism issues that we're trying to deal with. And we, we only know it's going to get worse like right for the next three months politically. It's just going to be ugly. And, and, and we need hope. We need hope. And I, I wanted to let you know that I, I'm deeply indebted to Ray Johnson. Ray is the pastor of Bayside Church over in the San Francisco area. He wrote a book a few years ago called The Hope Quotient. Uh, my wife got it, read it. It became one of her favorite books. She's been giving this thing out all over the place. It's a, it's a great book, and I've used a lot of it in the research of what I've done because he had already done it, which is great. Um, I've actually got two, actually this service, I have three books up here on the stage that uh, if you come and get them while I preach, uh, they're $100. Uh, just you can leave in cash, 20s or 50s are preferred. Uh, if you wait till after I'm done and you're one of the first three up here, they're for free. So kind of, you know, take whatever you want. But, but this whole thing of hope is so important. Um, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19 today. So whether you're here or you're joining us online, if you got a Bible or got a Bible app on your uh, iPad or your iPhone, if you turn there with me. But here's the thing, folk. Our hope is important. Hope is necessary. And our, the good news is, is that our God is a God of hope. And I've read over this, verses, this verse in Romans lots and lots of times, but I never put it in this context until preparing for today. It's in Romans chapter 15. Paul says, now may the God of hope, that's who he is. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in what? Hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We were created in the image of God. We need hope. And when I thought of this verse, that our God is a God of hope, I couldn't help but think of how that played out in history. I mean, you think of, uh, man, one of the darkest days in history. The day that Adam and Eve screwed it all up, right? Without them, there would have been no COVID. Let's blame them, right? Because they were in a perfect environment, a perfect relationship with their God, a perfect relationship with each other, and they just had to have a piece of fruit. 
and they had to disobey. And now it's all different. Their relationship with God is messed up. They're going to be kicked out of the garden. Their relationship with each other's now got problems. It, it's just everything is bad. God is meeting out judgment. So in the midst of that dark day, do you remember what God did though? He gave them hope. Oh, by the way, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. There was a promise there. You think of years down the line, you had uh, the world had become so corrupt that God had to destroy it with a flood. So Noah and his family get on this boat with all the animals, and for a year they're on this boat. Have you ever thought of what it was like that day that Noah got off the ark? I've always thought of it as a day of relief, but you know what? I'm sure it was a scary day. I mean, they were walking into a new world, unlike what it was like. I mean, the canopy was gone, the temperature is gone, the feel was gone, nobody else here, it's just eight of us, that's it. I would imagine they were struck with fear. But in the midst of that, God gave hope, right? A rainbow. I'll never destroy the world again with a flood. You think of the children of Israel who God had, had chosen as the seed of Abraham and had brought them up out of Egypt and taken them into the land of Israel and, and, and given that to them and established David's kingdom and it's all great, but then they had walked away from the Lord. So the 10 tribes had already gone now into captivity and now Judah is going to go into captivity from Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar's already been there, taken some of them, but he's coming back and because of their sin, he is going to destroy the city he's going to take down the temple block by block and God is prophesying all that through Jeremiah and yet in the midst of it there's hope Jeremiah 31 but there is a day coming God says when I will make a new covenant with Israel and that covenant is where I'm going to write my law on their heart and their sins and their iniquity I'm going to forgive completely our God is a God. Even think about Jesus going to the cross. Remember, he kept telling the disciples, I'm going to die. But then on the third day, I'll be raised. Our God is a God of hope. And we need hope because discouragement destroys. It, it, it wants to rip out our heart. I love this, I love this uh, quote by Howard Hendricks. If you don't know Howard Hendricks, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for years and years. He was a mentor of pastors. And he was a, he was a master teacher. But he said this, discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and he carves out their heart. You see, when you have no hope, your soul dies. When you're just overcome with discouragement, that's what happens. In fact, someone has said that, you know, we can live without food for 40 days. We can live without water for three days. We can live without oxygen for about eight minutes. But your soul can't last one minute without hope. And we see that here in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go there. Just to give you a little background, 1 Kings chapter 18 is one of those, man, mountaintop experiences in the Bible. 
uh, Elijah had been praying for three and a half years trying to get Israel's attention, the northern tribes, that they had walked away from God. So he had prayed so that it would not rain for three and a half years. They had been in famine, disease. He keeps saying, come back to the Lord. Finally, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, they meet up on Mount Carmel. All the prophets of Baal, King Ahab's there. Remember, they had the contest of whose God will bring fire from heaven. Baal goes first, didn't happen. Elijah builds the altar, calls, prays to the Lord. Fire comes down from heaven. They see Jehovah is our God. They go, they kill the prophets of Baal. Then Elijah gets on his knees and he begins to pray. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. And now it begins to rain. Even before he can get back. Folks, no matter how you view that, that is a good day in ministry. It really is. And so that's what brings us now to chapter 19. Verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the, all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he, and he said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came and touched him a second time said, Arise and eat, for the journey's too great. So he rose and ate and drank and went on the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the sons of Israel, forsaken thy covenant, torn down thy altars, killed thy prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, folk, I got to get you to see this. The danger of discouragement. Here's Elijah, one of the greatest prophets the world has ever seen. In fact, so much so, Moses, of course, is typically by the Jewish people considered the greatest because the law came through him. Remember when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain? Moses showed up, and who else? Elijah. For those of you that have studied prophecy, you know that in the last days there are going to be two new prophets that are going to come that are, that are going to wreak havoc here and try to get people to turn their hearts to the Lord. They come in the spirit of Moses and who? Elijah. And here Elijah becomes so discouraged that he becomes incapacitated to even be a prophet of God. Folk, if it can happen to him, it can happen to you. There's some key things in this passage about discouragement that you've got to see. Number one, is this discouragement typically leads to fear. You say, well, why was he discouraged? He'd had such a great day. Yeah, 
but their hearts had been far from the Lord, and that's the whole point. He thought it had turned, but it hadn't. Jezebel's still coming after him. Nothing had changed. He lost hope. And in the midst of that, he began to fear. And that's what happens when you lose hope. You get discouraged. You begin to fear. You fear what's going to happen today. What's going to happen tomorrow? How are the elections going to turn out? Am I going to have a job? All this fear begins to, to overwhelm you. I would suggest to you that if you're struggling with fear in your life, the issue may be you've lost hope. You've lost hope. And there are multiple sources by which discouragement comes. Uh, I mean, obviously we see here in this passage three. Let, let me share those with you. Number one, circumstances. I mean, folks, all of us are going to have circumstances in our life that are outside of our control that are bad. I mean, let's face it. Nobody that I'm aware of sat down six months ago and said, hey, let's do a COVID thing, right? You know, let's lock down everybody and kill the economy, right? Nobody did that. It, it just it came, happened circumstances are, are gonna gonna come and and it's gonna play out in your life and and it's just that that's life and that's so often where discouragement can come from because we we kind of get this idea that i've got no control there's nothing i can do second place where discouragement comes from is from people people negative people uh for for Elijah, of course, it's Jezebel. But Elijah's not alone here. You're like this. I'm like this, right? It's that negative person at work who really shouldn't bother us, but it does, right? It's that boss that we have that maybe seems to kind of have it out for us, that we, we focus on. I mean, I'm a pastor, you know, and I'll be honest— typically most of the feedback I get is positive it's good um, people say nice things thank you I appreciate it but I got to be honest with you that's that's not what I think about what I think about is the point of criticism you know it's the person who said well you know question why I did this or did that or got mad and left because of that I mean when I lay in bed at night that's what's on our mind that's what we do and, and that becomes that discouraging peace in our life and then, of course, the reality for most of us is, is that where we get discouragement is from ourselves. A uh, lot, lot of people are somewhat pessimistic. They, they, look at the, they look at the glass half empty. Sad thing is most of them don't realize that they're pessimistic. Now, I tend to be in a little bit of the, uh, above that on, on the spectrum. I, I consider myself an optimistic realist that's who i am uh I, I tend to see the good side of things but I'm, I'm not like pie in the sky stuff right i'm not oh you know i'm gonna win the lottery type thing but it's it's an optimistic realist but i can even find in my own self i get in my own head and that's what could create discouragement i mean for me i'm a planner I think many of you know we were, we were developing a master plan for the church, you know, because we're out of space and all this, and it's like, not, now what do I do with that, right? 
when can we have services again? And when can we start children again? I want to plan and none of it. I mean, it's just, and, and you get so far into your head that the discouragement comes and the discouragement brings incredibly destructive behaviors. Now, I wish I had time to go into this in depth and I don't, so I'm just going to list them. But I hope that maybe you'll kind of think about them and if they're ringing a bell that you'll process this in your own life but there are six things really jump off the pages here that Elijah did that we do number one you get discouraged you lose hope the first thing you do is you make rash unhealthy decisions now you got to understand a little bit of the geography of Israel but he is up in Jezreel and, and the Jezreel Valley and, and, and then up to where Megiddo is and that's where Carmel is. So where it is in the state of Israel, Jerusalem, Galilee, it's right in the middle. That's where he is. So in the midst of now his discouragement, he lost hope. He takes off. No, no planning, no preparation, no nothing, no food, no water, and he heads south. Beersheba is at the very bottom of where Israel was, and he leaves his servant there, and now he heads down into the Negev. We know it is the Sinai Peninsula. If you've ever been there, you could take a picture of yourself, send it to your friends and say, I'm on the moon. Because that's what it looks like. It is like the most desolate place on earth I've ever been. And he's going down there, no food, no water. He's just running. He's scared. He's fearful. When you get discouraged, you make rash and healthy decisions. Secondly, you try to run away from your problems. But the reality is you can't run away from problems. I see this all the time when somebody gets discouraged in their marriage and they lose hope and all of a sudden we're just going to run. I mean, no counseling, no, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's see if we can rebuild. It's just, I'm done. The sad thing is they think that's going to solve all their problems and yet they don't realize now they have to go through a divorce so they're tied to that person through that and if they got kids, they got to keep working when the problem doesn't go away. What's interesting is later on if you had time and I hope maybe you'll go and read the rest of 1 Kings 19, God builds hope back into Elijah and he goes back, guess who's still there? Jezebel. Didn't get rid of the problems. You know, you, you've got that person at work and, and, and they're ear to, to, to you. And so you quit. Ah, done with the problem. Then you go over here and you get hired and you find out their cousin works over here. You know, and they're just as irritable. You know, you can't run from your problems. You, you got you to face them. The third thing is, is that we isolate ourselves. Uh, this has happened so much. When you get discouraged, you lose hope, you turn inward. He leaves his servant there in Beersheba. He goes down by himself. Now you've got no other voices. You're just listening to yourself. You're listening to all the negativity. It's that downward spiral. Then you begin to blame others. I love verse 10 because I have been here. I. So God, this is not on me. I. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. This isn't on me. I've done my part. By the way, God, where have you been? You're, you're somewhat to blame here. Why I'm in this mess. But I have been zealous. And then they've turned against the people of Israel. Man, they've all walked away. They've killed them all. They're trying to kill me. It's all on them. It's all on you. None on me. 
we begin to blame others. Um, what do you think would have happened if sitting in his recliner after calling fire down from heaven, he got the word from Jezebel, if he just would have said, God, would you take care of this? Would you deal with Jezebel? She's coming for me. What should I do? You think he would have been down in the middle of the desert? No. See, there was blame for him. He's not willing to look at that. Number five is you lose perspective. It's only me. It's only me. I'm alone. Nobody else. You know, it's just me. That's what isolation does. We just think it's, and again, if you could read the rest of the story, God says, no. Man, do you know I already got the guy chosen who is going to replace Ahab and bring my justice upon his family? Do you know that I've already picked the guy that's going to replace you and is going to become a great prophet in your stead? By the way, do you know I got 7,000 people in Israel that have never bowed their knee to, to Baal? But his perspective is, because of his discouragement, I'm alone here. And lastly, it causes them to give up on life. It's enough. I'm done. Take my life. So yesterday, I was doing a funeral here of an older gentleman in our church who passed away. And uh, before the service, I was sitting and talking to the funeral director. He and I had become friends over the years, done a lot of funerals together, and of course hadn't caught up. Of course, it's always interesting when you're having a discussion, you know, you're having a friendship with a funeral director because the old typical, hey, how's, how's business? Eh, you know, you, you, so you, you kind of ask it a little bit differently and all, but, but it was, hey, how, how's life going? What are you seeing? He goes, Steve, you know, there's, you know, business is, is pretty busy, but he says there's two interesting things. He says, number one, a lot of the, like, the age people that we would typically see in the springtime, you know, because of heart disease and this, uh, there was a real decrease in that because I think probably with COVID, people are taking better care of themselves or being a little bit more intentional. He said, the other side of it, though, the number of suicides and the number of drug overdoses that we are dealing with is astronomical. That's what discouragement does. That's why we need hope. Folk, you got to understand, hope floats. Hope is that thing that helps us to, to get up the next day and to see a, a future ahead. I saw this quote. I'd never seen it before. I love it. You don't drown by falling in the water. You drown by staying there. I love that. The truth is, is that, man, circumstances are going to hit us all. All of us are going to have some stuff that comes outside of our control. All of us are going to have negative people to try to worm their way in their life. We're all going to face it. But it's not that that kills us. What kills us is staying there and not getting out. Our God is a God of hope. Why? Well, because, number one, hope liberates and it liberates us from the past. You know, so many people get discouraged. They, they lose hope because of what they've done in the past. There's that pattern of behavior, or maybe there's that, that history that they have in their family, and they just think, man, it's in my genetics. It's just I'm never going to be able to overcome this. You know, I come from a family with all these divorces, or I just keep stumbling with this. 
and there's no sense of, of hope, but hope liberates. Hope says, hey, by the power of God and what Jesus is doing in me, I, I, I don't have to walk that way anymore. I don't have to be like my parents. I don't have to be like their parents before them. I could be a new person in Christ. Hope liberates you from the past. Hope also motivates you towards the future. So in the midst of when things aren't going well, hey, there's a better day. So I'm going to be a person of integrity today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to live with hope today. I mean, think, think of Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Bible had a dream, you know, that all the, his brothers would bow down to him, and they didn't really like that. I mean, you talk about hitting, being hit with negative people and bad circumstances. I mean, he's uh, he, uh, got a dysfunctional family. They sell him into slavery. He ends up down in Egypt. But he lives with hope. He lives with integrity. He rises to the top. He becomes all over Potiphar's house. And then he's falsely accused of rape. He's thrown back into prison. And in prison, he still believes God's promise for him. And so he deals things in integrity. So he's lifted. Now he's caring for people. He cares for, for Pharaoh's butler and his, his, his wine dresser. And, and he tells them their dreams. And, and they both come true. But then he's forgotten. But he keeps living with integrity. He keeps going on because he had hope. God had told him something was going to happen. Hope motivates us towards the future. It also initiates vision. Hope causes us not to just look at today but what, and what is, but what could be and what could be tomorrow. I, I wish I had time. Oh, boy, I really wish I had time. Ah, that's the problem. Okay. Many of you know the story of Desert Springs, but for seven years, between 2007 and 2014, we ended up, we had, I would say we got stuck with two properties, two church buildings, and the worst part of it was two mortgages. And if you remember 2008 and 2009, 2010, and all the recession, it was a tough time. And, and really for a, uh, somebody who likes to be a visionary leader, it was really at that point, it was, uh, it was uh, what, what survived this. And I'll never forget in 2014, we finally sold that building and man, felt like the monkey was off our back and begin to finally dream of what could be. And that's when God began to lay upon our heart as a church about planting churches. And as Jim has already mentioned, you know, here we are down the line, we, we've been able to plant two churches, the third one's going in the ground. That's what hope does. When you have hope, when you're in a marriage, you got some hope, you can see not what is, because what is isn't very good, but you can see what could be. We need hope. The fourth thing that hope does is it activates a better world. So it gives you a vision, but then it brings you a new reality. So, so we wanted to plant churches, and that's what we're planning on doing. Well, a year and a half ago, we get a call from one of our missionaries down in Nicaragua. Hey, I've got this community of 25,000 people. There is no evangelical church. We found a property. We got a young couple that wants to go pastor it. We got 70 people meeting every week in a Bible study. What do you guys want to do? I brought it to you. You talk about hope. Four Sundays, we raised over $200,000 to buy the property, fix it up, fund the pastor and his wife on a boatload more and now for the last 18 months every day the gospel is going forward in that community because there was hope folk hope is so important 
Let me finish with this. What is hope? And maybe sometimes you can best understand what something is by looking at what it's not. Hope is not just some kind of fleeting emotion, unreliable sensation, wishful thinking, I'm going to win the lottery, right? No, 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 no. I mean, folk, I, I just need you to understand what we're going to be talking about is not a Tony Robert, whatever, Robbins, is that his name? You know, seminar. It's not, I love that commercial. I forget which insurance company it is, but Pinocchio, you know, is teaching the motivational seminar. I see lots of potential, you know, whoosh. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing because that's not hope. Hope is the sincere expectation of good to come. It is the expectation down deep in your heart of a better day. That no matter how bad today is, that there is an expectation that somehow tomorrow, the next day, it's going to get better. And let me tell you where that hope is best found. That hope is best found not in yourself, but it is in a personal relationship with Jesus. You see, the God of heaven, the God who is the God of hope, loved you and I so much that when we were in despair, he became one of us. He became our flesh, lives a perfect life, goes and dies on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with him, that we could know we have eternal life. In fact, think about all the hope that is found in the promises of God when you come to believe in him. You have the promise that you become a child of God, part of the beloved. You have the promise that your sins are forgiven. You have the promise that when this, when this life is over and you take your last breath to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You have the promise that our God is so powerful and so redemptive that everything, that those circumstances outside of your control, that he can use them to your good. You have the promise that he will never leave you, never forsake you. Folks, that is the God of hope. And you'll never know that kind of hope outside of that. And I'm not talking about relationship with the church. Folks, I love Desert Springs, but I just want you to know you can come and be a part of this. This is not going to give you hope. And I'm certainly not talking about religion. Because religion will actually probably put you back down the rabbit hole of discouragement. I'm talking about a personal relationship with the Son of God who loved you, died on the cross for you. And he stands there at your heart's door and knocks. And if you would just simply put your faith and trust in him, invite him into your life, he will forgive you. And he will make you his child. He will give you the promise of life. He will come and he will never leave. He is the God of hope. And he'll stamp you with his DNA such a cool thing and for those of us who know him and I know many of you do can I just remind you that you've been stamped with the DNA of your Savior you've been made a new creature in Christ the God of hope but hope is a it's like a muscle that you got to exercise it's got to be nurtured it's got to be strengthened it's got to be developed you know when you don't develop and use a muscle once you use it man it kind of gets sore it hurts it's something we've got to do. And I kind of feel like we're at Bible school and I'm telling a continuing story. And you know what happened to Elijah? You've got to come back tomorrow to find out, right? Well, I want to tell you, our God is a God of hope, but we've got to build it. You want to know how to build it? That's why you've got to come back next week. Because the next three weeks we're going to talk about how do you build that hope muscle in your life as a child of God. But if you don't know Jesus, that's where it begins. 
And right where you are, whether you're in this room, or you're watching in your living room at home or at work or wherever you're at, if you would just simply put your faith in Jesus, invite him to be your savior, he'll give you hope.